Caller, you're on the air. Yeah, caller is tired. <laughs> <laughs> so what time? What time is it there for you? It's eight p.m., which is oh, you know, brutal. Eight yeah, p.m. Not that late, but my son decided to wake up last night at eleven thirty and then stay up for many hours and then sleep only for about an hour and a half at a time last night. So, uh, and we share a room right now. So you're gonna have to have a conversation with him about that because. <laughs> Not acceptable behavior. I feel like he's old enough to know better. Yeah, I think he needs to hear some hard, some hard truths for sure. You know, the tough love. I mean, you know, when they're, they're a newborn, got to give them a few weeks. They get used to it, but eventually, you gotta, you gotta break up the tough love. Sit them down. <laughs> you know, have a conversation. Maybe a few over... weeks. <laughs> but you know, nighttime is for sleeping. Maybe over a bottle. Yeah, over a bottle. You can have a bottle. He'll have a different bottle. He'll have it. I hope and, he has uh, a different bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, although maybe I maybe the sleep, maybe it would help with the sleep. A little bit of brisky. I, <laughs> I haven't googled that to see if it's recommended, but yeah, you should. You should definitely Google that. Yeah, but if, if I don't, then am I responsible for uh, <laughs> for getting yes? Un- yeah. <laughs> Isn't that plausible deniability? You can say anything. As ridiculous as possible, and then you can just say, "I don't know, maybe it's true." No, <laughs> isn't that a thing? It, haven't we established no, I believe that that's ignorance is not considered build credibility and justification. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. All right. Yeah, seems to mix signals, but okay. sorry, bud. That's good to know. Yeah, I- I'm here to help. You know what I mean? I've been doing some work around the house. Now, kind of getting mm. settled in and, and getting things laid. Because, you know, the plan is to be here for 10 years so you can actually do things, uh, change things, and things that, that, you know. Specifically 10 years? Like, 10 years in, you're like, we got to go. Uh, well, eventually, probably, the kids won't, uh, you know, we'll probably want a little more space once they start to become teenagers and have a little more, mm. you know. That's just kind of a stereotype in my mind. I also kind of have a mental, if you can buy a place and stay there for 10 years, then you made a good investment. You're not... You know, people, if you, for buying, at least if you're moving a lot, you're losing a lot of money in the like transfer taxes and cost, right. re- transaction costs and stuff like that. And so one of our things, what we were like, okay, if we're going to buy a place, we want to try to play, buy a place that we think we could stay in for 10 years and maybe it won't be exactly 10, but no, I think that's a good, I think that's a good attitude. Yeah. Cause I mean, at least in BC, like the transaction costs and real estate agent costs or whatever is like, <laughs> It's, it's, it's a large chunk. It's a large percentage. Um, so mm. regardless of the price of the place, it's, uh, you know, you don't want to be moving too often when you're owning. So because of that, I'm now doing things I've never done in a home, mm. like doing things like, okay, well, we're going to, uh, we're going to install this into the wall. I, like we need little shelves here. I can't find, it's not easy to find on Wayfair or any of these websites, a good shelf that would fit here, but like I could actually make in theory a shelf here. Yes. Um, so I'm doing like these little kind of more involved t- and also I have like a garage now that I can sort of have a bit more space. Yes. Which you're polluting with dinosaur fumes or whatever it is you think is going on in your garage. You know what? The dinosaur fumes thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> you happen to have brought that up at a difficult time because yesterday you were, you were making fun of me and other people were making fun of me <laughs> for being concerned with the dinosaur fumes in, in we were. Having the combusting car in my house. Yeah. And then just yeah. yesterday, uh, I was working in the garage and I was do- installing some stuff, doing some stuff in there. And I left the garage door open because I wanted to hear if the baby woke up. And then uh-huh. I needed to move the car. And without thinking about it, I started the car and moved the 
the car and it blew like my living room then smelled like car exhaust because of the wait i'm sorry blew, say this like, again like i started the like the, i was working in the garage at the garage door yeah. normally the door in between the garage and the rest of the house like the stairwell up to the living would be, room would is be closed closed but i propped yeah. it open so i could hear if the baby woke up because i was working okay. in the garage and the baby was upstairs and then you turned on the car and then i was like i need to make some space to get these shelves in so i need to get the car i need to roll the car out of the garage mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. do that i need to turn it on combusting mm-hmm. the dinosaur juice putting mm-hmm. exhaust fumes up into the house which the baby lives in it was not <laughs> a good scene I, also i'm a dumbass but no yeah there are there are many things wrong with that but i don't know that they're the things that we've been making fun of you for <laughs> well you've been making fun of me for that too uh but if i had an electric car wouldn't yep. have been a problem no problem I understand that would yeah. be a, a good use of fifty thousand dollars would be to prevent myself from yeah, making just, that mistake don't you think if if you have a choice between setting it on fire and then letting the fumes of that fire waft into your house or buying an electric car i would say go electric car rather than just burning the cash burning the cash and thus polluting your son's air yeah i think that would probably be i mean on the whole yeah. i would say go for buy the car with money so <laughs> i have a garage now i can do things now and i was like i might want to put a shelf here so i'm like all right well you can just like buy wooden uh boards like the hobby wood or whatever and so i'm yeah. going to look online and like okay what kind of things they have and the first thing i come across is the website's like all right do you want hardwood or softwood and i'm right. like well i guess well, it would be easier to work with if it's soft, but then if it's hard, it's more durable. And I started Googling, and I came across a fun fact. Fun fact, hardwood is not wood that is hard. It's wood <laughs> from broad-leafed trees. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, maybe you knew that, but I had, you know, very naively assumed hardwood was hard. I did know that, but but I think it's not uh, commonly known. No, I, well, I don't I, I was surprised by this. So for yeah. folks who, unlike Arik, were not, were not aware of this. I've just done a bunch of woodworking. You've done yeah. woodwork. Whereas I have not, I had not previously done much woodwork other than like in high school, they're like, okay, here's some wood, like drill it. Work it. Or whatever. What, what even kind of wood was it? I, unclear. <laughs> so hardwoods stereotypically come from deciduous trees, oak, maple, ash. Yeah. Softwoods from evergreens, pine, cedar, fir. And investigating that, I came up with a bonus fun fact, uh, which also is something that like maybe like it was one of those things if you've thought about it, you maybe would have known, but like I'd never even really thought through this through. So broadleaf trees uh, from temperate climates like Germany and Canada and the United States, uh, most of the United States anyway, they use their, you lose their leaves every year. That's what we call them, deciduous mm. trees. But in tropical regions, they don't lose their leaves every year, obviously, because there's no winter, summer, or at least not a dramatic winter, summer, uh, cold, hot cycle. But they might lose their leaves in response to drought or things like that. And uh, so you still can sometimes get that same effect, but you don't have the like the trees who lose their leaves once a year thing in, the, in oh. the tropics. And so one side effect of that is that hardwood that comes from the tropics doesn't have the growth rings typically that we see like in an oak tree you have this beautiful ring pattern when you cut an oak tree but something like a mahogany or rosewood that comes from a tropical region you don't have the rings it's like this one kind of consistent um sort of grain to it so that's fascinating because of the seasons yeah and so you don't have that change in in the way the tree's growing and not growing yeah it is worth noting that uh most hardwoods are harder than softwoods 
Yes. Apparently, the extreme uh, exception is balsa, which is a yeah, that is very like soft a hardwood, wood. but it's extremely soft. Um, yeah. And then um, you wood y e w uh, is the extreme example. And the other way of uh, uh, fairly hard softwood from so is a yeah. softwood being wood from uh, evergreen trees, which is why it's a important political lobby in canada you probably don't hear about it as much as we do but we're always hearing about the softwood lumber industry or the software lumber dispute with america it's <laughs> probably don't even know that this is a dispute but it's like it's okay weird. i'm going to tell you that uh that we never hear about that <laughs> i don't know i don't know not less than you never it's, i don't know what that is <laughs> the software the canada u.s softwood lumber dispute is like one of Soft, the that's even a hard thing to say softwood lumber Rolls yeah. off the tongue for me because it's a term I've heard a lot, um, but it's always mm. in the news in the states or in Canada U.S. relations for Canadians. Um, yeah. You hear about you uh, Canadians often hear about our disputes with America on softwood lumber and on dairy as two things that we export um, <clears throat> or we have large industries at least in in Canada. So softwood lumber being evergreen trees, and that's why in Canada our lumber industry is primarily around these evergreen conifer forests pines and the like Uh, and so and that's that's really important in the states because apparently uh, uh, most or at least a lot of american homes are built or framed out at least with canadian software lumber huh okay i mean yeah, yeah the 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 realities of canadian u.s uh disputes are definitely something that i feel like Maybe unless you live in a specific region of the United States, living in California most of the time it is just simply not something I ever hear about. I learned recently about uh, there's like a an area of the Atlantic Ocean near Maine, I want to say, that mm-hmm. like is claimed by both the United States and Canada and is a disputed border. And there's like an island there and there's like a lighthouse that doesn't need anyone to be there. But Canada always has someone stationed there because Canada wants to retain their claim on that water for reasons that I don't even remember. I watched a a, a cool video about it on YouTube, which I will try to find the link for the show notes. But it's just like, I never heard about that. But maybe if I lived in Maine, I would have. I, I don't know. I, certainly if I was a Maine, uh, whatever kind of, maybe lobster fishing, which is a popular thing in Maine that they were doing. I don't remember. But whatever whatever economic issue was centering this border dispute, maybe if I was in that industry, I would know. Uh, not being a home framer uh, or a or, or really a softwood enthusiast, I... Um, uh, even as a amateur woodworker, I have not heard about this Canadian U.S. Uh, wood dispute, but uh, or series of disputes, maybe ongoing disputes. Yeah, it's like it's like over decades, like oh, trees wow. and lawsuits, and like because yeah. <laughs> this is not this is not probably the number one most fascinating fact, but extremely briefly, uh, the <laughs> Canadian governments own most of the wood in Canada and they get to decide at what price people can cut the wood. And so oh. then U.S. private companies uh, claim that the prices they set are too low and that counts as a subsidy and that's illegal under the trade agreements. And so then they uh, mm. advocate for taxing Canadian wood. And when it's like mm. one of the biggest uh, industries in Canada, that's a big deal in Canada and in the United States. It's like, you know, every country probably has a Wikipedia <laughs> entry, which is like disputes in between our country and the United States. And then like Americans are basically not aware of any of them. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's, that's just, that's interesting though, that Canada owns most of the, the Canadian government owns most of the logging areas that, that seemed, that's very interesting. 
Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that came to be, to be but I guess like lots and lots of future fact up potentially. Mm-hmm. So now you know, softwood is not always soft. Hardwood is not always hard, but hardwood always came from leafy trees. But what wood did you choose for your shelf? Oak. Oh, nice. For two reasons. One is because there was a lot of uh, um, availability. Like at the hmm. uh, hardware store, there was like lots of different kinds of boards they had. But oak, there was a wide selection in different sizes. And one of them was already pretty close to the size I needed. But the second is it just sounds good. Like, ah, an oak <laughs> shelf. It just sounded emotionally like, like ah, yeah. And like, I also, in my mind, it's like, well, I don't know if I'd be able to afford an oak board. But it was $20 for like more <laughs> length than I needed to make a bunch of shelves out of. So... I got an oak board. Did you do it? Have you made the shelves? No, I haven't gotten that far that yet. This was just last weekend, but uh, I've got the little brackets for them. And I've okay. Well, please follow up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this will be like my first woodworking thing. I like just bought a saw, like a circular saw, now. So I yeah, was, I don't think it'll be an impressive shelf, but no, this uh, is exciting. I love it. I at some point I need to build a lot of wood furniture for our house and uh, have just simply not. I don't know. You seem better at parenthood time management than me i don't know where you're finding the time to do this stuff but um yeah i need to eventually get to that point i need to get to your level parenthood time management i feel like if i had not been a ceo before i was a parent i might have been pretty bad at it because my time (laughs) management skills are not innate they are entirely learned and practiced and held up by complicated software <laughs> i'm not just i'm inherently a productive person it's like right. oh right yes i was gonna do this oh i'm gonna do this all right this is okay what do i need for that okay what i'm gonna do okay i have 40 seconds what should i do right now okay i use that time all right now yeah ellie needs help or thomas needs help that's a it's a, it's a system it's not well, a this is a to- topic for yes parenthood productivity i'll add to it's an after the fact topic but um I, I really, I'm just going to start talking about this fictional show that no one gets to hear until I speak it into existence. Yes. After, after the fact, the Patreon show that does not yet exist that happens after the show finishes rolling yeah. for all of our non-existent Patreon subscribers. Yeah. Subscribe yeah. now. If you can, if you can find a way to subscribe, then that'll <laughs> indicate to us that you If you really love the show, if you really want to support us, if, you'll go and subscribe If to you our... really, really love, you'll create a Patreon on our behalf. You can... Please don't. <laughs> that actually, that's a, that would be bad. It would be complicated. That, yeah, that um, would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I assume yeah. people are satisfied with like the already sometimes too long shows we already have. But, you know, if there's yeah, someone out there know. who wants an even longer yeah. show. Let us we know. Could, we could be swayed. Yeah, let us know. Please let us know. Especially if you're a... Uh, what but to be clear, would, this is mostly a joke. <laughs> totally a joke. But if you are someone who in the past would have been called a patron, uh, mm-hmm. let us know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is it, do, would you like my fact? I would love your fact. And I, I, as always, I am am slightly worried, but mostly amused when you, you refer to your fact singular, that means we may be in for a journey. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, fun fact, English spelling may seem arbitrary, but it's actually a time machine. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I, I think I like where we're going. I think I've been, (laughs) I've been on some, some investigations in in these parts before and often come yeah. across entertaining things uh often relating to medieval or uh you know the history as the different countries have come to affect the language so let, let lead on Arik. tell me <laughs> tell me why english spelling is a time machine 
Well, so, you know, just so that we're all clear about what we're talking about, I feel like most of our listeners probably speaking inherently know the kinds of, well, for sure, or at least understand it, but <laughs> the, ki- the kind of, the kind of, uh, the kind of confusing things I'm talking about. But as some mm-hmm. examples, why do B, B, E, B, B, E, E, and beat, B, E, A, T, have the same vowel sound? As an example, those three mm-hmm. different spellings sound the same. Why are weak? W-E-A-K and weak, W-E-E-K, pronounced the same, but spelled differently and mean different things. Mm-hmm. I'd say that would be really, like, we talk about spelling reform, or we don't talk about, no one talks about spelling reform, but every once in a while you come across in other languages that they have spelling reform. Yeah. Weak and weak being W-E-A-K and W-E-E-K seems like one of those really trivial, like, the first time anybody is like, should English have spelling reform? You would imagine that would be one of the, like, top five, well, I think we could all agree to just pick one. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Why is it ski S K I and not ski S K E E? Hmm. But it is S K E E if it's a ball. If it's a ball, yeah. Why is knight like the guy who rides on a horse, maybe not only guys, like the person who rides on a horse spelled K N I G H T and not N I H T, for example. Mhm. Mhm. Or N I T E. Or N I T E, yeah. I give you all those examples and I promise you I will answer all those questions in the process of this fact. <laughs> those were not arbitrarily chosen. Uh, so uh, the reason at a top level, at a high level, is because the spelling of English was mostly standardized before modern pronunciation was. Mm, so the pronu- the spelling has settled down, but we keep updating how we pronounce the words. That's right. So the spellings we read are actually mini time machines. This is what, what I meant by that, mm. that can show us how the words used to be pronounced. Ah, okay. So they were more f- phonetic at a time in one time. Absolutely. In the past. So as mm-hmm. an example, night, K-N-I-G-H-T, used to be pronounced knesht. <laughs> okay. Much closer. Mm-hmm. Which is the same way it still is. In German. Ah, uh, where, which you've been exposed to recently and maybe brought to mind. Ah, yes. Yeah. Where, by the way, it means servant, but that's a fact for another time. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Over time, the K and the G became silent in our pronunciation, but the spelling didn't change. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reasons why this is true. And we don't, as, as I was sort of referring to, we don't, have a, we don't have a spelling reform council in English. No, but the reasons, the reasons why, the reasons why uh, we ended up in this state where there's so much pronunciation that's so different from so much spelling has to do with the specifics of of how English developed. So Mm. now is that journey you alluded to earlier. Yes. So England had a lot of dialects. They still do, really, but they had a lot of dialects. And in the Old English time, so English is broken down into three periods, Old English, Middle English, and Modern English. Mm Mm-hmm. Old English had an actually a very regular spelling system. As in like consistent. It's super consistent. It was very, very consistent. But when the Norman conquest happened in 1066 and the French uh, province of Normandy invaded England, that was all gone. And for the next 300 years, I think we've talked about this on some past shows, French was the language of all of the ruling class of England, the government, mm-hmm. the aristocracy, everything. And English actually almost died out. And it only stayed alive. We only still speak English today thanks to the peasants never fully adopting French. Hmm. And this led to the schools in England being conducted in either French or Latin. Right. Which meant that there wasn't a standard in school for how English should be should be spoken. And when you don't have a standard... Right, because the fancy people weren't the ones speaking English. It was the people who weren't going to school, the ones that were primarily speaking it. Whereas Latin and French were being taught by the fancy people. 
That's right. And when you don't have a standard for how you teach language, that's when dialects emerge. That's how, uh, this is probably a larger fact for another day, but that's how Latin becomes French and Spanish and Italian Mm -hmm. and everything, is that uh, the Roman school system ended and then suddenly dialects emerged diverged right? and that's something that i anytime yeah. i dig into a, a little bit a fact around the history of some european country it pretty quickly breaks down like i was reading about catalan for, for some reason um, totally and then it's like oh well actually it was related to and took words from these other like you know at that time you know 500 years ago or whatever spain had like 10 regions each which spoke somewhat maybe or maybe not mutually intelligible versions of spanish or maybe not right. even spanish at all and so did france and so did like most european countries were not like oh okay well this is generally where they speak french it was just like well there's this area of french and that area of french and that area of french and that area of french and some of them can't even understand each other they're divergent enough and that was like yeah the norm it seems like at the time and then and then you're saying england was the same way because of this non-central there's no central teaching of what english really is supposed to be exactly and by the time english re-emerges uh, hundreds of years later as the sort of national official language its spelling had changed a lot we also entered the middle english period but there were two main reasons why the spelling changed it was both because uh, norman the norman french had very specific rules on their own spelling that they kind of hmm. enforced on english and then english also borrowed just massive amounts of french words mm-hmm. which all mm-hmm. retained their original spellings the french spellings yeah. the the french spelling so an example or of this norman thereof. Yeah, totally. So an example of this uh, Norman spelling rule kind of thing I'm talking about is that, you know, the U sound that we that we see in words like son, S-O-N, mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. come. They're all yeah. written with an O, <laughs> right? And not a U. Son as in like my son and daughter, not son That's as right. in the sun, the sky, which is spelled in the way you would think it would be. The way that you would spelled. expect it. Yeah. But yeah. love, it's not love it's love yeah and this is because norman spelling rules prohibited putting a u before an n a v or an m because v u and n were written identically in norman handwriting and Mm. there was no way to tell them apart and mm could mean v u n or n v u or u v u or mm and there was no way to tell so they wouldn't put u before letters that would make it confusing as to what the word was Right. So the L-U-V-E, which like when I say that and we would look at that, it would look ridiculous, but it's actually a totally common sense way to spell love. <laughs> yes. You don't even need the <laughs> would E be actually, unintelli- but that's fine. Semi-unintelligible because it would probably be L and then just like squiggle, 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 squiggle. Nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so also because of this lack of schooling and generalized centralized everything the spelling of middle english i said old english was extremely consistent the spelling of middle english was like wildly inconsistent Mm. like words Mm -hmm. would be spelled different ways in the same sentence Mm. Mm -hmm. no one cared about spelling and uh, many of the variant spellings were because there was a tremendous number of dialects like i mentioned and the spellings would indicate how the words were phonetically pronounced locally right so it would be spelled maybe different ways in different parts of the country yeah, exactly, because they would pronounce the word slightly differently. And actually, that's a feature of the language when people, when like linguistic historians read Middle English works. It's actually really, really useful because they can determine how various parts of England spoke at different times and mm. see how it evolved over time. And as an example of that, in in Chaucer's uh, uh, Canterbury Tales, which is probably the most famous Middle English literature that exists, he even went the extra step and 
he had all of his, of his travelers. I don't know if you remember the story, but it's like a bunch of people going on a trip together and then they all tell each other stories. Each mm-hmm. of the travelers came from a different part of England and he would actually spell the words in the regional spelling mm-hmm. dialect of the people mm-hmm. from that place, which is invaluable to, to historians because they're like, oh, sure. people from the north spoke like this. People from the Midlands spoke like this. People from you know, Kent spoke like this, whatever. In the way that you might now see a story that like mostly everyone is dialogues written the same way, but a Scottish person or somebody with a Texas accent, it's far enough away that they might vary some spellings to to try to get across to you how differently this person speaks. That's exactly right. So as an example, what I mean by wildly inconsistent spelling there there was at the t- at the time of middle english there was one way to spell so the, the main word the main languages used in england at that time were still latin mostly for religious reasons and, and legal reasons old french which was also for legal reasons and then middle english right so the word right which in latin is rectus had one spelling in latin the word right in old french had six different variant spellings mm, for like different contexts or just like for regions I think for regions, I don't actually know, but there were six different ways that you would see it spelled. Mm-hmm. Middle English had 77 different spellings for regions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if you're like, all right, Alan, you, like those are the things you have, you have this amount of time, you need to come up with as many spellings for the word right as you can think might ever you don't think you can get be to 77? plausible. I don't think I would get to 77 with any amount of time. <laughs> I think I would get to like 15 or 20 and they'd be like, yeah, I think that's... The, as far I'm as good. That's go. all the possible spellings. Like, I, I I got past like right with two T's on the end and like <laughs> or Y G H T like but then you know yeah seventy seven yeah it's a lot. So what led to the standardization of spelling? Well, basically the, a lot of things, but the shortest possible journey point from here to there is that the printing press eventually came to England. Right. So the original printing presses were invented in China. And at some point, Johannes Gutenberg made a European version around like 1440. And suddenly European languages were being printed with what's called movable type, not the blogging engine, RIP, <laughs> I think, and a pre- and a printing press. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. the guy, the man who brought the printing press to England was a, a man named William Caxton. Okay. And he had trained in Flemish Belgium. And learned how to print there and then returned to England, his native country, and became the first English retailer of printed books. Right. And so now you can't just have them handwritten in like your name by your neighborhood scribe or whatever in the spelling of your neighborhood. That's right. He had to print them in a standard sort of language and and dialect because he needed to sell them all over the country. Mm -hmm. So the dialect he printed in was essentially the East Midlands London dialect and over time, that became the standard sort of high English, you might say. At least spelling-wise. Uh, spelling-wise and word choice-wise. So mm. in so the, there wasn't just divergence of spelling. There was also divergence of words due to a million things we don't going to go into because this fact would then take multiple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, as an example of what I'm talking about, he, he printed an edition of Virgil's Aeneid in 1490. And in it, he included an anecdote about the difficulty of finding a standard English. And I just really enjoy the anecdote, so I'm going to share it with you. This is very meta now. Yes, it is. In the story, a man from the north of England ended up in the south due to a, a sailing issue. And mm-hmm. he went to a house and asked the good wife if he could buy some eggs. And mm. she replied that she couldn't speak French, which, which annoyed the man because he also couldn't speak French. <laughs> and and a, bystander, a bystander helpfully suggested that the man was actually asking for Aaron, 
I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of all of this. And the woman said, oh, she understood what he wanted and gave him the eggs. So Caxon tells this story in his thing and then says, lo, what should a man in these days now write? Eggis or Aaron? Certainly, it is hard to please every man because of diversity and change of language. Huh. And that's like, that's what a, like what a perfect little glimpse into how things were at the time to have a contemporary basically a complaint <laughs> about <laughs> how do how do i even resolve this problem yeah totally so th- this uh, standard dialect that he sort of promulgated based on the london dialect and printing presses not just his but others it eventually was called the chancery standard and hmm, it was used phrase yeah and it was used by the chancery which i think is the government offices and stuff and mm-hmm. it became the basis for modern english spelling and it's mostly the basis we use today but that has some interesting artifacts uh, because some words that start with a gh for example like ghost mm-hmm. got that spelling because the printers were trained in flanders and that was a dutch spelling nah. <laughs> has nothing to do with the usefulness of english and some words that end with a silent e and you're like why is there an e here this is doing nothing are spelled that way because the e would be added or removed to help when justifying the margins oh geez well so they're like okay we, we need to like balance out this line we need to add extra letter well i have lots of e's here yeah <laughs> so I'll just stick and they one would, on. they would just add silent letters it e's is the most common one i think but there were other spelling changes they would make just to just to justify in case you don't so know you're talking about the and, like ye old pub with like old is o-l-d-e <laughs> just like wow well, just throwing e's on there yeah exactly and it was like oh we have this much space let's just put this e in there so it fits Oh, man. I like that. That's good. <laughs> but at any rate, having said all of this, we we now have a fixed English spelling. Unfortunately, everything I just told you about happened in the very early stages of what linguists now call the Great Vowel Shift. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard this, this term? Pronunciation. I've, I've heard it. I wouldn't define it, but this is like pronunciation changing kind of in a pretty broad way. Yeah, so this was a massive series of changes to how English is pronounced, and it happened primarily between like 1400 and 1700, but Hmm. the bulk of it happened after the spellings had finally been fixed. Hmm. And the Great Vowel Shift is really complicated. I'll I'll link a a three-part podcast to tell you how complicated it is. I will link a (laughs) three-part podcast on uh, with a bonus episode on on some of this stuff uh, for for more information for those who are really interested. But the shortest version I could come up with that I think will be useful is that uh, a bunch of long vowel sounds changed and they usually moved either one or maybe two steps upwards in the mouth. Hmm. So this led, for example, so that people have an idea of what I'm talking about, to the modern I sound that we use in English and in fact to the letter I being called I. Before the great vowel shift, it was pronounced more like E and was also called E. Mm -hmm. Like in French. The -hmm. same as it is in Mm -hmm. French and German and most continental languages. That's why it's ski, S-K-I, and not ski, S-K-E-E, because ski is a modern Mm. loan word from the 1800s from Norwegian, and we still spell it in the Norwegian way, which uses I in the continental way as an E sound instead of an I sound. Right, but then after that got hammered down and locked in place, then our, our E's became I's in our pronunciation and everything kind of migrated up. And then we were left with the spelling of S-K. Well, so, yeah, so words that were, basically words that were already in English before the Great Vowel Shift. 
Uh, right, because uh, then new words are still coming in, but then they're not getting shifted. This is what I'm saying. So words that were right. in English before the Great Vowel Shift, their pronunciations shifted. And if that happened before the spellings were fixed, then the spellings got updated. Right. But English is a language that loves to borrow words. That's why we end mm-hmm. up with a language that has two times as many words as any other language. English just loves to take in anything. You, in modern examples, would is be, that really, is that actually like in two times as much as any other language, or like two times as much as most languages? Because that no, I believe it's two times as much as the next. Oh, jeez. Sorry, I'm pulling you off of your. Thread. I'm going to say that I'm not a hundred percent sure. We'll do a, a bonus fun fact at some other time on this, but I believe my understanding is that it's two times the next most. Uh, largest vocabulary of language so uh so english just loves that i mean modern examples would be like emoji right mm-hmm. that's from japanese from japan mm-hmm. um and uh, you know it, it, uh, all kinds of words that we've taken in a, a, into chic and and mm-hmm. you like the you know an arab chic uh, and and because so words that and be, when english does that we don't change the spellings for whatever reason so if you get a word like ski which came you know hundreds of years after this was all fixed we still spell it, we pronounce it the way we would, but we still spell it the way that it was spelled in Norwegian. And you you see this also in some words that are starting. To, the, the, the process I'm talking about is not done. It's, as you mentioned earlier, it's still ongoing. So you see words that now are pronounced in two different ways that are loan words. An example would be via, via, or anti, anti. And you can see that the, one of those pronunciations for both of those, let's look at via and via, one of them has the, mm, the I and E. Mm. e sound and one of them has the i sound so um, americans primarily are starting to vowel shift those words to a more american standard way of talking from the way that they're actually pronounced and maybe eventually it'll be accepted broadly that you pronounce it with an i sound at the moment i think it's you see some of both so what what you're getting on certain words in a non-organized fashion is people are shifting from the pronunciation of ski to pronouncing it like sky. That's right. You would if but, if, if but this not that applied to word, ski, probably. not in that yeah. particular word, but if if that were to apply to ski, we'd be say I'm going skying this weekend. Right. <laughs> Which sounds <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, ludicrous. but it might sound ridiculous in 100 years when we we're talking about ski. <laughs> Yeah, and they're like, what weird, what is modern, we're in hyper-modern English now, we don't understand this at that, all. So, there you go, that's how you, it's really hard to get language reform for spelling reform to get everyone to agree we're going to update the spelling of words. If we just get pronunciation reform, that's easier. Everyone, just we're going to pronounce everything phonetically from now on, we're going to talk about <laughs> medieval kniggets, and all of it is just going to be based on the way it's spelled. New rule, fun fact, phonetic only. Yeah, go. so so what you end up with is, as I said, is a lot of words that were pronounced with one vowel sound are now pronounced with a higher vowel sound, but their spelling sometimes, depending on when it happened, still reflects their old pronunciation. And I, there's a really great metaphor from that podcast series that I'll link to about sort of how this all went down. And basically what the, what the um, guy who makes that podcast says is that it was kind of like, you can imagine it like a game of musical chairs Hmm. and, but where everyone just moved when the music stopped, just had moved one chair to the left. Right. So everything was pronounced slightly higher. And yes, it was all still but... coherent within one another. <laughs> so that would be complicated enough. But <laughs> that doesn't answer two more of our examples from the beginning. And to answer those, we need to add one more, one more little wrinkle in. And that is that it didn't stop there. Uh, some vowels, not all, and not always, moved twice. And the rest of the vowels didn't play along. So if you imagine musical chairs... Everyone moves one over, so there's now an empty space next to everyone, and then everyone can move into that space. 
Mm -hmm. But after that initial movement where everyone moved one over, some vowels in some situations moved again, but on their own to no music. And so those vowels collided with their neighbors. In a musical chair situation, they basically sat in the lap of someone who's already sitting in a chair. Hmm. Okay. And those vowels are the reason why we have so many words that are spelled differently, but pronounced the same. They didn't used to be pronounced the same. So, oh, like uh, weak and weak, the E-A-K yes. and E-E-K used to, like E-A and E-E used to have different sounds, and then one of them joined its friend in that pronunciation, or joined his neighbor, I guess. Well, kind of, yes. It's, it's, it's yes, ultimately yes, but it's actually slightly more complicated than that but you're on the right track so it's always slightly more complicated. yeah sorry that's our that's our tagline fun fact it's slightly more complicated than that. <laughs> that's actually a good tagline like an overall subtitle for the entire show so yeah. in an example like you just mentioned where we have weak and weak they both used to be pronounced differently from each other and from how they're pronounced today and mm-hmm. so in middle english in chaucer's time I, I can't do the pronunciations but weak and weak were not said the same way okay mm. Now, they both initially moved one position upwards. Right. But because they both moved, they remained distinct. Mm -hmm. Okay? And at that point, uh, weak, W-E-A-K, sounded different than it does today, and weak, W-E-E-K, sounded like it does today. Right. Okay. And that was like in Shakespeare's time. So in Shakespeare's writing, early modern English, he would have said weak and weak differently than Chaucer, but also differently than today, but the week like seven days in a week would be pronounced the way we pronounce it today, and the other week is something like wake, and I don't, right. I'm not saying it right. Yeah, but like for the sake of our argument, for to imagine that they were like pronounced originally like woke and wake, and then they both moved up to wake and weak, and then they both moved to weak and weak, like they've slowly merged and higher and higher. Into weak, and so now you have weak and weak, there's, I feel weak all week, and they spellings didn't changed sorry mm-hmm. the spellings didn't change because we were past that point and so now they still look totally distinct when you're reading them but sound totally the same when you're saying them and that's called homonyms and english is full of them mm-hmm. they're all over the place yeah so you know and it, we would it's, have even more ambiguity in our writing if we did do spelling reform and say okay let's take all these homonyms that you can't hear the difference in between and then also make it that you can't read the difference in between them either right and y- y- you know you see that also in words like i mentioned at the beginning with b b and beat the the reason there again is that uh only long vowel sounds changed so b was pronounced with a short vowel sound and then B-E-E originally indicated a long vowel sound, but that long vowel sound in some words shrunk. It didn't move up. It shrunk to a short vowel sound. And then the E-A, like in weak, moved from wake to weak. So bait became beat. Hmm. And they all collided. Three things colliding in one place. Which were all three different, at some points, pronounced in different ways, but for different reasons, all converged. Yeah, at some point it was like be, be, and bait, you know, or something like that. I'm obviously yeah. butchering this. Be, be, and be, or something. Um, as a final aside, as, as a final aside, English is not the only language that's undergone a, a vowel shift. Most languages didn't do it as dramatically, um, and no one knows why there are interesting theories as to why probably the most interesting one i heard again from that same podcast series i'll link is that um when the black plague happened 
uh, tons of people started moving into cities and specifically London was located was obviously the capital city and grew just tremendously over a short amount of time. I think the population mm-hmm. like in 50 years tripled or something like that. And, and a lot of people came in from sort of surrounding areas and because of where London is geographically located, it was near most of the dialects of England, not the ones in like the far North, but most of the dialects were near enough that people were moving there. And suddenly everyone was from all these different regions was in the same place. And that may have encouraged this kind of what's called a chain reaction of vowel shifting. But this kind of vowel shifting happens in lots of languages. I, I uh, Chinese did it in the year like 800 around thereabouts. And German actually did it too. Does it typically happen in the same direction? Like people tend towards speaking high, their vowel sounds higher? Or is it just each, each language has a different, totally different evolution? I'm not sure. I think that I, I don't know the answer to that, but I will say that in, in English specific context, English tends to trend towards less work. Yeah, well, I would expect that. Like, but not all languages not do. Being a linguist, um, I would. Exp- oh, not all languages do. Like some languages will, over time, sort of people will just kind of unilaterally start pronouncing things in a more difficult way. Well, in fact, in English, that has happened. Uh, the initial vowel change that caused the entire thing to happen was the top sound, which is a. A E. Now I'm now I'm showing my ignorance. Whatever the top sound is, moved downwards uh, and became uh, more complicated. Became kind of like an uh sound, but then that eventually also shifted again. But then in more, this is getting overly complex. Mm, but in, we're in, in, the weeds. <laughs> in, in recent times, in Cockney accents, which are the basis of Australian English in some mm. ways, uh, that uh sound has come back, and that's why you see things like strain and die in Australia that you don't see, and in Cockney, and you don't see anywhere else. But at any rate. Um, what the point I was trying to make is that most other languages have undergone some amount of vowel shift. And in German, which is a good one to look at because it's, it is a very, you know, English is ultimately at its root a Germanic language is some of the, some of the vowel changes in German have actually matched vowel changes in English so that you see situations like the word house, which is pronounced the same in English and German with only a minor accent difference, but was the proto-Germanic word was quite different from both of those and both, but they evolved both languages in the same direction. vowel shifted in the same way. But the important thing to note is that German did all of its vowel shifting before they fixed their spelling. Hmm. So German right. spelling is incredibly uh, you know, rigid and, and correct. So we just got unlucky on that one. And the last sort of random anecdote of uh, many that I'll leave you with is that going all the way back to that French influx of words, mm. uh, that also explains the very common rule that I'm sure you learned in school. I before E except after C and a bunch of other exceptions <laughs> and a bunch of other exceptions that we're not going to go into. But the core of that rule has to do with the fact that, uh, the, I-E spelling was preferred but it, by English scribes for reasons, but a bunch of French loanwords that were spelled in Norman ways w- were E-I, but all of those words happened to come after a C, so, <laughs> so they were so like... you could come up with this rule. Problem solved. <laughs> uh, but that, to your point, there are like dagger, double dagger, asterisk, double, triple, dagger, ladder next to that of many situations we were taught that rule in school and that rule is extremely loosely followed in the totality of english it's only barely useful <laughs> yes in in words of a certain age it is universally followed minus the exception that is already baked into the rule so <laughs> so there you go <laughs> Oof. was that 
a journey as I promised. I always, any the more I, every time I learn a single thing about English, I always just build more and more empathy for people who need to learn it. And yeah, a second language. It's yeah, just me too. A cruel joke on humanity or whatever that we ended that up that's the language that became the sort of an international common, language yeah the international language is the yeah. and i know that there's a whole bunch of uh, think pieces and theories and books about how well maybe it became the international language because it's so uh, there's it's so complicated and so you can communicate more in it or I don't maybe think so. or whatever but then there's that's <laughs> just like a so. people english speaking people trying to justify their own dominance um but yeah. uh but yeah it's just <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, I mean, we could do this endlessly. You know, the, the, oh, man. the only difference between Polish and Polish is that there's a capital P at the beginning of Polish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do, can you tell the two, pronunciation? Not, not very similar. One, yeah. When I have seen, like, stories about pronunciation shifts, like you were talking mm. about things tend, trending towards easier to pronounce, and that obviously... Yeah, like, at least a, in English. Yeah, it's a truthy uh, thing, and I imagine that has happened in other languages, too. The other thing that you'll come across in stories will be uh, that a way of pronouncing things was, for one reason or another, seen as prestigious. So, like, either it's the ruling class or the, Mm. um, you know, more uh, higher society or from a region that was considered to be more prestigious. And so you will see sometimes pronunciation shifts because there's a certain group of people that wants to speak like another group of people to either blend in or be seen as fancier or whatever. Yeah, a classic movie example of that if you've never seen it is either the film Pygmalion based on the play Pygmalion or the more famous uh, My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn where this upper class British guy is taking this cockney speaking lady and teaching her received mm. pronunciation in an, mm-hmm. in an attempt to quote unquote civilize her and uh, yes. and and it's you know I actually really enjoy the first movie Pygmalion with uh, Wendy Hiller uh, and Anthony Asquick, but th- having said that, it's a pretty awful premise. <laughs> so, but yeah, to your point, at the time yeah, it was you know. thought of as like I mean, there's so much <laughs> you can get pretty deep into like uh, uh, unpleasant and now in retrospect terrible things that people did in high society over the years in order to try and prove that their high societyness. Um, but acceptance of, as I understand it, acceptance of Cockney accents and other regional accents has only fairly like has changed quite a bit in the last like 20 or 30 years in that it was you know something that people would get a lot of discrimination for and i imagine still do but uh that it was you know for for the the whole thing came onto my radar where there was something news story about the first person who was a bbc news anchor that uh had a scottish accent or something like that and i was like what yeah but like bbc is like britain and Scotland's part of Britain is like, oh, well, it was, it used to be the rule that you had to have BBC English and that was the proper pronunciation and that was the correct one that, you know, if you want to be, you know, in the gutter speaking your cognitive accent, that's fine, but not on the BBC. And that's something that has slowly changed. I'm sure there's still a bunch of systemic resistance to that, but. This is one of these danger zones, Panther style, where I'm going to mm-hmm. say something that I have been told and I believe, but I don't actually know if it's true. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Which is that apparently in the United States, uh, newscasters are trained and required to speak in a essentially Northwest regional mm-hmm. accent. I've heard that too. And obviously there's exceptions, but there are, it is seen as desirable. Yeah. And the flattest the least geographically placeable accent. Mm-hmm. I've been told by someone who from Nebraska that Nebraska has a surprisingly um, 
uh, neutral accent, given that it's like sort of adjacent to you know some of the stronger southern accents mm. uh, geographically, and it's also in a fairly central time zone uh, for mm. uh, America. And so there's a disproportionate number of call centers in Nebraska because they can hire people with pretty neutral accents, and then they're you know closer to the work hours of people in other either coast. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a that's fascinating. There. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. English is complicated, y'all. Uh, we apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> yes, yes, we we definitely apologize. We're we didn't do it, but we are sorry for it. Yeah, and you know, but we benefit from it. So, by oh, absolutely, and we're sorry for it. One thing that's interesting that is a uh, you know just for the more 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 facts listeners that don't exist. Hmm. <laughs> is like that what our, our, what our, our Patreon only fun fact? Yeah, what our membership only extra length show be called would be called more facts oriel fact in fact i feel like it'd be more facts. facty facts more facts extra facts yeah yeah fact. anyway we could come up we'd break we workshop it the, the factorium <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at any rate uh if, if for those listeners which is nobody uh <laughs> after the fact it's called after the fact that's what it's called, it's called oh it is called after the fact anyway uh what do we how do we end the show we, we can, well, we may have already ended it. We apologized. <laughs> That's true. Our apology is always good. It's very Canadian it's, it's slash very Canadian of us. Fun fact way to end the show. And so now I guess we go into after the fact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this Patreon is after the fact that I get to hear when I edit the... Actually, by the time I get to this, I always go, oh, cool. And I'm done. And I delete everything. <laughs> you don't even this. listen to our banter slash attempt at maybe an additional fact that doesn't get doesn't make it for time uh i would if i thought there was we could just move all the times that were wrong into the post show oh that's a good idea (laughs) it's just we should have if we ever do after the fact for real the discussion about skype yeah if we ever do after the fact for real it should be like one of the rules of after the fact that we make no claims for accuracy (laughs) (laughs) you're entering a fact-free zone after the that's right the following things should be fed to babies that's right welcome to the fact-free zone these are facts that we these are these are our believies this is our believe zone. <laughs> yeah, I believe <laughs> Honestly, that could be pretty good. I feel like it could, you could have a double standard of, or two standards of like factuality. Totally. Yeah, that would be really easy because I put way too much effort into like researching all this shit. And like if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. <laughs> to just claim things. Yeah. If I could just um, say like, yeah, I don't know. I heard that <laughs> trees are delicious. I don't know. You know, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm.